Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Check one, check two. Oh, wait, you're listening. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. <coughs> you're listening to Radio Lab. Radio Lab. From WNYC. Hey, I'm Jad Abumrad. I'm Robert Krilwich. This is Radio Lab, the podcast. And uh, we've just finished our In the Dark tour, and we wanted to play for you in this podcast one of our favorite stories from that show. Now, this was designed for the eye as well as the ear, this particular performance, yeah. so you will not see the Palabolas Dance Theater, which means you will not see. Oh, my. Pretty amazing I, stuff happening on that stage. Yeah. Strangely beautiful shadow plays on a huge white canvas on a gigantic stage. You could go to the website and you can see pictures at radiolab.org. Yeah, these guys are really They're good magicians. At what they do. Yeah. They really are. We should also note that this story was scored live by the amazing Tao Win with Jason Slota on the drums, Jamie Riotta on the bass, and it was recorded masterfully at UCLA's Royce Hall by Reverend John Delore. So here it is. So for our final segment, we were thinking through this show. We thought, you know, who would have a really interesting perspective on darkness? Maybe somebody who works in, in, a, in a rich, dark environment. Astronauts, for example. Yeah. So we called up uh, NASA. We talked to an astronaut. We connected our little studio in New York to uh, their studio in D.C. to uh, talk to an astronaut, but he was a little late. And uh, here's the funny thing. When you are on hold with NASA, this is literally what you hear. This has a blast-off feel to it. Yeah, it does. This is amazing. This, by the way, is literally the case. You dial 1-800-NASA or whatever, and they, this is like go-to-the-moon music. I, uh-oh. Hello? I hear someone breathing. Yeah, we can hear me. It's probably, I'm breathing. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting way to meet. So this is our guy, uh, Dave Wolf is his name. He's a NASA astronaut. I have been since uh, 1990, over 20 years. He wasn't really sure why we had called him. What, what's our topic here? So yeah. we explained to him that, you know, uh, we're doing this show called In the Dark. Uh, we're going to do it on stage in front of some very, very nice folks. Uh, do you have any stories that relate? And right off the bat, he says. You've triggered an interesting darkness story I have. Mm. Well, that's why we're calling you up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, you're, you're taping and you're ready. Yep. Darkness is an interesting theme in space because there's nowhere where the contrast between light and dark is any more extreme. Dave has done dozens of spacewalks, and he says there have been times when he's just sort of out there floating in space next to the craft, and maybe the, uh, the ship tilts a little bit, and the wing blocks light that's coming from the sun or the moon, and it creates a shadow. And he says the darkness of that shadow... ...is blacker than any black you thought it could be <laughs> out there in space. The shadow has no light in it. There's not reflected light from dust in the air, the earth around you, or clouds. It's just pure, absolute dark. And you can reach into a shadow so deep, so black, that your arm can appear to disappear. Wow. Right in front of your face. Your head is in the bright light, and your arm is in this depth of darkness. And it's just gone? Like it's been cut off? Yeah. 
Wow. But I do want to tell you uh, an experience I had in my first space walk. Late 97, I had this experience. Okay. It was from a Russian spacecraft. You might remember the Mir yeah, sure. spacecraft. So Dave was up there. He was with two Russian cosmonauts. And he and Anatoly Solovyev, they were suited up and getting ready to make their first walk into space, or his first walk. And we did all the preparations to get the suits ready, and we're in the airlock, and... The door opened, and they floated out. We clipped our tethers on outside. And he and Anatoly gently float to the worksite. And it was dark out, and dark up in space, means you're on the night side of the earth, in the shadow of the earth. And there were no external lights on this spacecraft. This was really, really dark. And we were over the ocean. And at night, that basically means you don't see the earth. You don't see it at all? Not at all. When it's a, a moonless night, you don't see the earth. In fact, all it might look like to you is the absence of stars. Now I want you to imagine this with me. He's up there in this darkness, and the Earth, with all of us on it, is somewhere far, far below him, but he can't see it. And all the while, and this is really important for what happens next, he is shooting through space. He's rocketing across the dark shadow of the Earth at five miles a second. That is 16 times the speed that we're all moving right now, because we are on the Earth. But he says at that moment he didn't feel any of that. It just felt like he was suspended in this cocoon of black. Floating gently. And he thought, all right. No problem. This is kind of peaceful. Because it was just me and the spacecraft and blackness. And suddenly... This blazing light. Blasts him from below. What was it? It was the sunrise. You know, because he and the ship were moving so quickly that the sunrise, which normally happens here on Earth very, very slowly, calmly, at that speed up there, the sun comes screaming from the eastern edge of the Earth straight across the Earth, lights up everything in seconds. And the Earth lights up below me. Suddenly I can look down 200 miles and see that we're moving at five miles per second. Oceans, whoosh. Clouds, whoosh, deserts, whoosh. And he was like, ah. And I clutched onto these handrails like there's no tomorrow, white knuckled in my spacesuit gloves, because I suddenly had this enormous sense of height and speed. He says it was sort of like if you're standing comfortably on the ground and, and then some, someone just flips on the lights suddenly and you realize, actually, I'm not on the ground. I am on a 400,000 foot ladder. <laughs> Crazier still, in that sunrise moment. The temperature all, all also increases by upwards of 400 degrees. In, in, uh, in the moment? Uh, in the moment. Really? This is the most extreme thing I've ever heard. Are you air-conditioned or, or whatever? Are you, are you, yeah. you are. We are totally dependent on that spacesuit. But the colors, what you're seeing on that Earth is so spectacular. The, the greens and blues and the delicate pastel-like colors and the contrast and the brights uh, are just uh, aren't present in, in anything I've ever seen other than up in space. 
Dave and his Russian buddy Anatoly, they're out there for hours doing repairs on the ship, so they are, because of their speed, they're going in and out and in and out of these days and nights. So it's 90 minutes of a light-dark cycle. So you have uh, 16 nights and 16 days for every Earth day. Which means, as they're working, this change is happening over and over and over. Every 45 minutes, they go from blazing light to quiet dark. Blazing light to darkness. You can get lost. It, you get stories of people doing spacewalks that lose their orientation or feel like they're falling. And so he says the only thing to do in that circumstance is just to focus on your job. Look straight ahead, only at the screw, only at the screw. Don't look down, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's real in this business. <laughs> <laughs> so, we would have been perfectly happy to uh, end the story right here, because Dave and Anatoly finish their repairs, job well done, they get ready to come back into the spacecraft. But we cannot not tell you what happens next. Yeah, because this, this first was a very different kind of darkness. Yeah. So the two of them pull themselves by their tethers to come back into the airlock to go back in. But when it was time to come back in... They couldn't get back in. You were locked out of your spaceship? You could call it locked out. We, we were trapped outside, yes. Essentially, their airlock was busted. They couldn't repressurize it. And if you can't get it at the right pressure, you can't re-enter. No. And we worked on it for four or five hours and ran out our resources. And we Wait a second. Ran out of oh, what, yeah, we, oxygen or what? We have plenty of oxygen, it turns out. What you run out of first is your carbon dioxide scrubbing uh, unit that takes the CO2 out of your suit. And now the problem with this one is usually in a space accident, you figure it'll only hurt for a moment. But when you die of CO2 intoxication, that drags out. That's not, that's a, that's a miserable way to go. What, what does he mean? Did you ever find out? I looked out? it up. What happens is first you get a headache, and then your muscles start to twitch. Eventually your heartbeat starts to accelerate faster, faster, faster. You go into convulsions, and then, die. Luckily, the life support system has an extra cartridge. That gave us an extra six or so hours. We used all that mm. and uh, trying to fix the hatch and we couldn't get it to hold air. And uh, we were done. Did you know you were done? I mean, you were, were you Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And, and you mean done like in over? Yeah, yeah, no more ideas. <laughs> done like in dead. Mm. So, they decide, okay, we gotta do something. Last ditch maneuver, if we can't get our usual airlock to work, maybe we can make a new one. Because see, on the Mir space station, it's this big cylinder with these rectangular modules that jut out, and one of those modules is the airlock. But there are these adjacent ones, which are normally just uh, living quarters. They thought, well, if we can't get our usual airlock to pressurize at the right you know, pressure, maybe we can go to the next one over and uh, try and pressurize it. Essentially treating that next module in as a airlock, and we opened the hatch into that next module. And in order, though, to go into it, we had to disconnect our umbilicals. 
because you can't close a hatch over your umbilical, right? right? And the umbilical was providing our cooling to our suits. So as soon as we disconnected, well, that gives you maybe five, eight minutes at max. Before to, you, before you what? We, I don't even want to talk about it. it it's so bad. <laughs> did, you, did you look that up? Yeah, I looked this one up too. Um, essentially what happens is you boil inside your spacesuit. In a very ugly way. So, Dave and Ed totally think, okay, we've got to get through this tiny hatch into this room, and they've got to do it fast. But they also know... If you struggle hard and go too fast, you won't get much time at all in that suit before that heat builds up on you. So he thinks, okay, hurry, hurry, but slowly, slowly. What I did not anticipate was as soon as we disconnected our umbilicals that the visor would fog up. <laughs> and you'd now be having to feel your so way you're through. blind? Yeah. You could spit and kind of get a little area through the, the fog. So uh, I'm in the airlock trying to make my way into the next section. And I was crawling along the wall, moving into the next section. And uh, I spit on my visor, you know, to make a little hole to look through and get a hint. And it was an area I had been sleeping in some weeks before and I had left a picture of my family taped with scotch tape on the wall and I spit on the visor and I my helmet light went there and there was this picture of my family right here in this moment as I was scooting across the wall in what was likely my last minutes So this is how it's going to end. So this is it. And it, look, it's so strange. There they are. And I look back at that, and I shudder. Now, of course, Dave and his partner made it back into the space station, barely. But it didn't strike me really till months later on the earth, uh, how, how, how close that had been, and uh, what a strange uh, situation. This Russian stress. guy must be your best friend. Like, like he must yeah, we be, do you have to he, probably we, call each other and say, like, we, uh, 20 years later, you go, <gasps> Well, not many people have been through anything like that together oh and, and, and are there to talk about it. And you just uh, reminded me of something. Uh, so we're going to leave you with one last story from Dave. He was kind of a story machine. Um, this is uh, from that same stay in space, involves the same friend, Anatoly. They were out there doing some work on the ship, you know, floating in space again. And then uh, Mission Control radios and tells them to pause for a while. We had a period where we had to wait through the night to go on with our work. So he says, look, David, uh, it was all in Russian, of course, I wanted to show you something. And we hooked our tethers on, pushed ourselves about six feet away. We had about six feet of tether so that our eyes couldn't see anything but out in space. And I, I, I turned my air conditioner down a little, you know, so it was kind of warm. And I was floating in this spacesuit, just looking out into the blackness of space. And I felt like I didn't have a spacesuit on. It was so comfortable. The air temperature was just right. 
I felt like I was just out in the universe, in the stars. I couldn't see anything but stars all around me, and I couldn't feel anything. Outside of spacecraft going five miles per second out in the universe. Was that what he wanted to show you? Yeah, I think so. This is his rocking chair on the front porch thing. Or a hammock almost. He didn't want to talk. He said, let's just be quiet. Turn your helmet light off so you don't get any reflected light. Just uh, uh, relax. Raslabavayat. Relax. 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 Had you been there in the theater, this is the moment where we gave everybody a little pinpoint of light, a little hand-carried star that they could put over their heads and wave together. Like 2,000 tiny little lights from the seats. It's like a canopy of stars. We saw this happen again and again, like 18 times I think we performed this, and every time it was just like breathtaking. Yeah. whole show came together thanks to so many people on stage and off and we want to make a couple of thank yous before we go very very special thanks to meg bowles who found our astronaut she found dave wolf yes also to palabolas the dance company and to the palabola yes starting with itamar kubovi lily bins matt kent renee jaworski greg laffey yes and the dancers chris whitney heather favretto anthony oliva christina conjure evan adler annika sheaf and the olvera twins edwin and roberto we love you guys yeah Dimitri Martin, thank you so much for coming and, you know, creating this show with us. Tao Wynn and Jason Sloda, thank you so much to them. And Mike Faba. Jake Fine. Serena Wong. John Belore, Melissa Lacasse. Dave Foley. Nick Nusiforo. Caitlin Fitzwater. Rebecca Lair. And Roslyn Lutin. Lutz. Lutz. Most of all, most, most, most of all, to Alan Horn, who loved doing this and made it so fun to do. Start of message. Hi, my name is Samuel DeClerc. I'm originally from Gauteng, South Africa, and I'm a Radiolab listener. Radiolab is supported in part by the National Science Foundation and by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. More information about Sloan at www.sloan.org. Thanks. End of message.